0: guys. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. This is in uh, the book of the Psalms, uh, right in the middle of your Bibles. If you need help getting there, just get a Bible and crack it open somewhere in the middle and you'll be really close to the Psalms. And this is the 19th Psalm. Uh, the Psalms are a book of poetry or really songs uh, that were uh Written to be sung in congregational worship, and or to open um, open times of worship, uh, or maybe to be sung in, in parades with the Ark of the Covenant uh, to shout out um, in the midst of people who would hear. That's what we're what that's what we've been in this summer, uh, summer in the Psalms. And today we look at the 19th Psalm. This is one of the most pivotal Psalms in the whole Psalter. Uh, John Calvin called this Psalm the very most important of all the Psalms. And we're going to look today at the notion of God's creation and his power. Now we've looked at this before uh, in Psalm 8 just a few weeks ago. And we talked about how the creation of God drew the, the writer there to worship. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He saw that and it brought him to that moment of praise. Today we're going to look at the creation of God, or rather we're going to go through this psalm as it leads us to see the creation of God, Uh, not so much uh, as an avenue of worship, but as an avenue of conviction, as an avenue of accountability before this mighty God. We can see things by looking at the creation. We were on a mission trip uh, just a couple weeks ago, a team of 11 from this church in New Mexico and helping a little church there. And part of this little church is a, about <clears throat> I would say, a 22 year old girl who is an intern or uh, kind of an intern there. She is from another state. She traveled out there just to be a part of this church plant. And uh, Jordan, the pastor of that church, who I've known since he was a teenager, showed her, Mary Beth, is her name, a video of me. Uh, Year, when I was 28 years I happened to be 28 years old in this video. Showed this video, and uh, when I got there, I met some people, and there she was at the coffee center, and I said hi to her, shook her hand, she said, Jordan, showed me your video. I said, oh, yeah, that, that crazy video, you know. And, um, she said, but then when I saw you walk in today, I thought, whoa, that's been a while. And I... <laughs> well, that's kind of... Makes you want to go home, you know. Uh, but we can make observations, can't we? We can see something, and, we make, and it tells us something else. And in this case, the writer of this song, again, has turned his attention to the glory of God in the heavens. The heavens and the sky. You might, you might say the, uh, the, the, the outer space and the planets and the stars and the moon, the comets. And all of this, and, and also the skies right here above us, you see the clouds moving through and the, the creatures of that space are going to and fro. And he looks there, and it, he recognizes something about God. So we're going to look at that together this morning. Let's read in verse 1 of this psalm. If you don't have a Bible, this will be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And so we have those on the table in the back. You pick one up, no cost to you. uh, Just something our church wants you to have, okay? Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. This didn't come from nothing. We see that design and that order, and it declares the glory, the magnificence, the splendor of whoever did this must be far other than me. Uh, and, and, and it proclaims that the handiwork. This is designed by someone's, someone's hand. Day to day, verse 2, pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Now your translation may say something different than that. Uh, My translation uh, the King James and my translation the ESV and the New King James all agree on translating that last verse this way. If you have the NIV or the New American Standard Bible it may say something like this, there is no speech nor are there words, their voice is not heard the NIV says, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out to all the earth. I think we've got the right translation in the ESV here. And so if yours says something different, uh, then don't worry about it. Um, I think we're, uh, we're on solid ground with the King James and the ESV. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day, pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them, what's them? The heavens. In the heavens, in them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising, who's rising? The sun's. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. We're going to look today at what creation tells us about God's glory. And there are three truths that we're going to examine. First is this. We see in this text that God's glory in creation is a clearly communicated glory a clearly communicated glory. The heavens, God's ordered creation, uh, are given by God the role of being the first-line messenger of His glory. And this message that we're receiving is not a vague impression. You notice that? It's not a... Oh, I'm kind of getting something from when I look at the heavens here. It's not a, a subtle hint. The heavens, if we look at them, are declaring the glory of God. The message is an active message. Look at the language here. What are they doing? They're declaring. They're proclaiming. They're pouring out speech. They're revealing knowledge. Again, verbal language, words and voice. This is a given task by creation. You might say, what are they doing up there? Why well, why all these planets? You know, why all these orbits and you know what what really relevance does it have to, to us here? Uh, why all the the systems and the cloud, why they, God has given them a task, an active task, of declaring the glory of God. And the message is, is verbal in nature. The Bible tells us here it, it's not just a, a, a vague impression that, that, that there is speech coming out. This is something we can understand, that we can grasp, that we can, uh, we can know. It's an active message. It's a constant message. How often does this happen? It happens day. And it happens night. Day to day pours out speech. And when day is over, guess what? Night to night is revealing knowledge. The word here for pouring out is like gushing forth. We have a tiny little kiddie pool up on our yard uh, right here. And uh, listen, be careful if you come here after hours to the church. Don't glimpse up there to the yard. You're liable to see me floating in the kiddie pool. (laughs) We're ducking my head down to try to avoid being seen. We were standing here at the church the other day and all of a sudden the kids were in the pool and we heard just a a flood of water coming. The pool had failed on us and it was coming down. uh, It was a gush of water. That's what's happening here. Uh, Day to day, it gushes out. It gushes out speech. It's like a, a fire hydrant coming at you. It's a constant message and lastly, it's a clear message. There is no speech there, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. What does that mean? It means the words of creation are heard and perceived by humanity. It means nobody has the the, the, the liberty to walk around and say, you know, I, I, didn't, I never knew that. I never recognized there was something other than me. I, I, I never uh, never occurred to me there was a God a creator to whom I am accountable in some sense it is a clear message you don't have to be theologians to grasp this message it's never misunderstood you never go to a tribe or a culture you never go to a a language overseas somewhere you'll never be in a place that the message of the glory of the creator is misunderstood. We had a mission trip, the mission project this week. Sweet Olivia Miller organized it for us and uh, she said, I'll pick up the coffee. We got there, the mission project over the bus bar and all these mechanics came out, you know, tough old dudes, they work on the buses and grizzled and experienced guys. They come in there, we got no nuts. I said, hey, somebody's bringing the coffee guys. It'll be. Uh, we're going to have coffee here today. Olivia Miller came in with a little half gallon of Dunkin' Donuts iced brewed coffee and <laughs> sat it down on the table. You should have seen these guys looking at it. You know, it was in disgust. You know, and then they looked at me in disgust. And I looked at Olivia in disgust. I mean, it was uh, a. <laughs> There was, a, there was a, 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 what we call, call it a, a language barrier, a culture barrier, a generation barrier, right? When those guys at the bus barn come up from working on that transmission and they want a cup of coffee, it's not Dunkin Donuts with cinnamon sprinkled in ice- brewed coffee, right? <laughs> they want a cup of what we could call it a cup of Joe, right? There's never such a barrier when it comes to the messaging of the, of the heavens about the glory of God. Now, does the, do the heavens reveal every detail about, you know, salvation? About the, the name of the Lord Jesus? About God's perfect and detailed plans? Uh, do the, are the heavens a substitute for scripture? No, not at all. But the message that they do proclaim is clearly understood There's never a barrier in this. Here's what Psalm 14.1 says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that's not to be unkind and to point finger and call people a fool. But what it is to say is for someone to look at the heavens, to uh, walk this world, and to say, nah, no. I'm going to just dismiss that. Something... Is wrong there's something misguided there there's an action that is not right there you have to be a, a fool to look at this and to say there is no God and here's what the message is from creation the message is this what you see around you is not yours to do as you please I love Irish Spring soap when I was a kid we were poor my mom bought the cheapest soap that she could get it was called cashmere bouquet anybody (laughs) know this stuff it was the cheapest cashmere bouquet and uh, she would get that and hey I praise the Lord for my mom providing us soap I really do I I don't take that for granted but I always thought man when I get old enough to have a job I'm getting Irish Spring, right? <laughs> I saw the commercials, I saw it at the store, it smelled good, you know, I thought that's the soap I want to use. And so I got old enough, I got a job and I started buying Irish Spring. I never stopped buying it. I still buy it now, or I did up until recently, and I, I uh, uh, used it, love it, give it to my kids, want them to love it. Uh, it's just one of those weird things about your pastor. Uh, I'm, I'm in love with Irish Spring, but they changed the smell of it. <laughs> Just abruptly, Irish Spring original, classic, it's not like they added a different one. They changed it. And I called them. (coughs) Really, it was a live chat, Uh, but anyway. I called them and I said, y'all have changed the, the formula, you know. And they said, yes, we've added flaxseed oil, and I said, you know, I just, I think that's a mistake. And uh, and basically, we we had a polite exchange, but basically it boiled down to them saying this, it's our formula, right? It's our soap. We can do what we want to with it, like it or lump it, right? Uh, Deal with it. Uh, Now listen, that oversimplifies the message here. And it really oversimplifies the heart of God. But we can, we can grasp the message of this psalm here that this is not our own. And when man walks out into the world and he wants his own way, and he wants his own priorities, I mean, he wants to chart his own course, he has a, a sinful self. a a fallen flesh, a broken world, all of these things are orienting his mind to do things the way he wants what seems right unto him and he looks up and he sees the stars, he sees the heavens, he has got to say to himself, there is a handiwork here. Somebody else has made this. There is one who governs in this place and it's not me. And I may want my way God may look at us and say, listen, I know you do. This is my work. You see all this? I rule here. I know you want to live by your standards, but look around. There are other standards. There is a ruler here, and he is not you. God's expression of himself in creation is a constant and unsilenciable reminder that all of this Belongs to someone and it is not us. It tells us that the one who is behind all this is deserving of our praise and is owed our submission to his ways in his world. That's the message of creation here. It belongs to him. It belongs to another. Again, do we have all the words of God in this? No, we don't. But we have enough that man anywhere at any time can walk out and say, uh-oh, uh-oh, my, my heart conflicts with the glory of God. My life is accountable to a, a greater standard. And he is owed my allegiance. Somehow, some way, the glory of God is clearly communicated in the heavens. I mean, you can't get around it here. Uh, the, the speech is so robust that it just, it, it's just flowing it's pouring out in speech and knowledge <clears throat> the Lord is communicating to all mankind about himself but secondly there is a powerfully <clears throat> powerfully proclaimed glory the Bible uses two once in a lifetime events to showcase the power of God's glory Here, <clears throat> here's what they are the bridegroom's march you see that in the text The picture is of a bridegroom uh, leaving his chamber to go to the wedding ceremony. Uh, And back in this culture, it would have been a huge deal. The whole village was involved. We could go further into this. But uh, just I want you to know, it would have been like a parade going down the street. And and it would all begin when the bridegroom finally arrayed in all his stuff, uh, would fling open the the curtains of the chamber, of the tent there, and would march to the, the wedding ceremony. The other image here is of an athletic contest or perhaps a military conquest, not sure exactly, but a strong man running his course with joy. The athlete's contest would have been a buildup of a lifetime when I think of the Olympics. You don't have much more than one shot, you know. You train, you train every four years and you go there and you give it your all to once in a lifetime Events here. You think of your once-in-a-lifetime events. Think of your first car, right? Your wedding, perhaps. Your retirement. Your grand, first grandchild being born. You think of these things. Jackson uh, saved up for a little truck. <clears throat> he saved it saved from his barbecue job. Found a little truck. We went to buy that little truck on the side of a highway up here. He got there. Got to the talk. Found the cost of it. We went home and prayed about it came back, and uh, we bought the truck. And guess what? All those months and months and years long of saving and putting those pennies away in an instant, what, rain, depleted, gone.
1: That's the thing about
0: once-in-a-lifetime events. Weddings, trading, and Stacey are preparing for a wedding. Uh, Once-in-a-lifetime event, It, it takes a lot of planning and a lot of what? Money, right? Photographers, I mean, I mean you, it's crazy. The venues and photographers and florists and whatever, right. wedding planners, right, and decorations and uh, all the dresses. And not only that, you, you call all these other people in. You're like, you come to the dress shop and bring your credit card with you, you know. You're going to need it. You come to get measured for the dress. It's a, it's a huge thing. And in one moment, it's over. In one moment, the savings account of, of a lifetime of 18 or 21 years that you've been, you've been shaping this young lady, that all those savings are gone. Crazy, I'm gonna leave here in a minute. Uh, so, here's the picture God wants to tell how glorious He is, how much creation proclaims His glory, and He uses these two once in a lifetime events, to say, the sun. Here's what the, su- the sun is like. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun. comes out like a bridegroom. Boom. Boom. Leaving his chamber. Or like that athlete who's trained for a lifetime, he's got one shot at it. This is your one shot, and it's gone. All those opportunities, all that training, it's over with. So says, the sun is like that. It's the same kind of type of a glory, the sun running its course around the world. Trey, well, let me ask you this. What if September 6 you went home, <clears throat> it's all over with, you're a pauper, you know, you got no money left, <laughs> and you realize, oh, I've got to do this again. She's getting married again tomorrow. We've got to do this whole thing again September 7th. September 8th, we're going to do it again, and the 9th, and the 10th, and, you know, in October, we we got to do this every day. We don't have the means for that. The athlete does not have the means to run that course every day. Uh, He's going to age out, and the once-in-a-lifetime, we we can't buy a truck every day, we can't get married every day. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime event, the most that man can do. To array ourselves in any type of glory that may be able to compare to the sun Lord. It is a once in a lifetime and it takes, it depletes, it diminishes, it sucks away everything that we have just to do it once. God says, listen, I do it every single day. You think you're glorious? The sun in all of its heat Goes around the world, it's circuited, it's it's it, it goes all the way every single day. And as soon as I'm done, boys, I do it again. That's my glory. And to boot, guess what? The sun is only merely a part of my creation. It's so small of a part, it's as if I've just pitched a tent for it up there. All the other things I are mean, just a Put a tent up there for that little old bitty son to go around. How much different is God than us? Oh, well, he's vastly, vastly different. How much greater is his power than our power? It's, it's incomprehensible. And the message of creation is clearly communicated that this is a glorious God, but also this is a very powerful God. Creation is a clear and unmistakable presentation of God's immeasurable greatness compared with our fragile, what, smallness, of the endless storehouses of His power and the helpless poverty of our weakness, of the singularness of His authority and the completeness of our accountability to it. We're left without a question. And to put it plainly, our God is an awesome God. It's a powerful proclamation of His glory. But lastly, it is a total, a totally transmitted glory. The Bible wants it to be clear here. To whom this information about God has been communicated. And the answer is everyone. Read this. It's rising. The sun rising. It's from the end of the heavens. It starts over here. And its circuit is to the end of them. Boom. Starts at the end, and it ends at the end. It keeps going. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Who doesn't know the heat of the sun? The Bible says up here in the the previous, uh, previous verse about the glory of God, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What this means is that everywhere you go, the glory of God may manifest. You're not gonna go anywhere that they say, hey, the the radiance of the glory of God did not reach here. You know, here I am in a far-flung place, and you know, God's glory, yeah, yeah, it was clear. I'm sure it was clear like you said. You know, I'm sure he's powerful, like the Bible told us, but it just didn't quite make it to my life. I was homeless. I didn't quite reach to where I was, Matthew. My parents split up when I was young, and my life was broken, and, uh, you know, the glory of God just, you know, I, it didn't get to me somehow, in my sorrow, in my suffering, and in my geography, the place that I grew up, or the place that I was born in a tribe somewhere else, or in a God-forsaken place with no Christian witness, the glory of God never told itself to me. No. It's a totally transmitted glory. It's like our Saturn. I have a little Saturn at my house, 20-year-old Saturn. I've cared for it, nurtured it like a little tiny baby. I mean, I've tried to keep it going. It has 220,000 miles on it. and We drive it regularly and my sweet wife Erica, the other day, uh, threw a zucchini in the back of it. A big, giant zucchini. She drove it and threw a zucchini back there and forgot about it in the back seat, sitting on the back seat. We opened the door a few days later in this hot summer sun and this zucchini had just like juiced itself into the seats. We didn't know what it was, we thought it was a cucumber. She said, Matthew, you left a zucchini in the saturn. She said, you left the cucumber in the saturn. I said, I don't think I did, you know. She said, I know you put that in there. She said, "Uh, you know, somebody from church probably gave you a cucumber, and you put it in the back seat, meaning to get it, you left it there. I said, oh, maybe I did, you know, I I don't know. Driving down the road the next day, and Jackson said, Dad, you know who did that, don't you? (laughs) I said, who? He said, mom. He, he, he told me the whole story. He said, I just haven't ratted her out yet. <laughs> I said, well, can I rat her out, you know? And, anyway, the point of this, I think there is a point. The car smells terrible. I mean, it's, I, I can't describe to you the, the graphic grossness of what took place. So this, this thing just like. Squashed. hey, it's washed itself down into the cushions and rotten. We have cleaned it, we have used upholstery cleaner, lights off a breeze. I mean, cans and cans, just pouring <coughs> this stuff. You go up there right now and get in that car. Every inch of it, every molecule of fabric and hair and, and vinyl, it's all saturated with the nastiness of that zucchini. Thank you, sweet wife Erica. (laughs) That's the case with the glory of God. We don't have to wonder, did it reach there? Did it get to that point? It's all through his created world. Romans 1 puts it this way for us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What do they do to the truth? And we could say, what do we, as as former, if if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what do we, as, as sinners before we were saved, what do we, as human beings, suppress? We suppress the truth. The truth revealed to us. What can be known about God, we do know about his character enough to know that our heart and his heart do not match up. There's an accountability that we will never live up to when it comes to the glory of this creator. That truth is known and it is known everywhere. Every corner of the earth knows that truth about God. What do men do? We suppress it. Thus the Bible doesn't say are unaware of it ignorant of it. We didn't know it. No, we know it, every one of us. What do we do? Stamp it down. We suppress it. push it off. No. We reject it. And because of that, the justified wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men <clears throat> who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 19 for, here's why, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So we are without excuse. We all stand in desperate need of a Savior because we're without excuse. See, all the world is inescapably confronted with the glory of the one true and living God. You cannot hide from the glory of God. It reaches and is recognized by every man. You can suppress it. You can willfully reject it. You can distract yourself and numb yourself from it. You can set your life angrily against it, but you can never exempt yourself from having comprehended it. And the accountability That goes with that. The heavens. Transmit a totally. Transmitted glory. So today as we close. Knowing this. Knowing now what we know. About God through his heavens. I'm going to ask you a question or two. If the creation. Christians listen. If the creation. Is doing this. If the stars. are are, are pouring forth words about God. if all creation is doing this, if, if only the fool doesn't miss this like we read today, if that is true, how much more should we be determined for our lives to walk in worship of God? How much more we are the audience for which he has prepared creation to declare his glory, and having received that and been bought again from our sin by the blood of Christ, the very eternal Son of God, how much more should we be determined to walk in worship of this God? The stars ought not to outdo us in these matters. If that's the case, it's the same case that was recognized by the Psalmist here. And in the end, if you go down to the bottom of this psalm, the verse 12, you'll see that the, the writer of this recognized that too. And here's what he said in verse 12 He said, Who can discern his errors? So he's looked up, the, he's seen the glory of God. He, he's seen the word of God, if you read the rest of this psalm. He's been confronted with the nature of God. And here's what he says He says, Oh, who can discern his errors? There may be sins I don't know about. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, the sins we choose. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, what? My wrath and my redeemer. Seeing the glory of God, he realized, no, I don't match up, and I never can. And he needed something to turn to. He needed a redeemer. You see, every life is responding to God's glory. Every single life, no way or other, is responding to God's glory. What's your reply this morning? The man John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, may or may not be in our top ten tonight, was a slave trader, a wicked man, and he gave that up through God's conviction and conversion. He gave that up. He wrote to him Amazing Grace later, and on his deathbed, he had been plagued with dementia, and uh, he had a friend there with him, and he was speaking to his friend. Many times what he said didn't make sense, you know how that goes, the sadness of the tragedy of that. But in the end, John Newton said these words. He said, my mind has failed me, but this I remember. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. Amen. Today, the glory of God is enough for us to know we're great sinners. The gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to know that there is a great Savior. So maybe today you need to do something. Maybe you need to come to Christ for the first time. You say, Matthew, I'm not a theologian. We well, don't have to be. The glory of God is clear and plain. You just, come to, you just come to Christ. We'll help you with that. Maybe you say today, hey, you know what? I've been living my life that, you know, as if God doesn't deserve glory. In fact, you know, look around the moon, the stars, they're far outpacing me and doing anything to tell who he is, to live for who he is, to follow him in his way. Maybe today, Christian, you would come in the knee and say to him, Lord, I want to walk with you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God today, and we thank you for trusting it to us. I pray today that these words would mean something to us from your word. They're kind of technical kind of doctrinal. Feels like we've learned something today. But Lord, I pray that that learning, that all that's in here would find its way to the places in our hearts that need transform. And I pray, God of glory, I thank you, God of glory, the God to whom belongs the heaven and the heaven of heavens, that you looked upon us and have loved us, that when we need to turn to a redeemer when we need to say oh god what about my sin oh god what about my hidden sins that i, I might god declare me innocent lord i need a redeemer that there in fact is one that he has shed his blood for us on the cross of calvary has opened his arms to receive us as sons and daughters Lord, that invitation cannot be lightly overlooked. And Lord, I know that overlooking it is not lightly accounted by heaven. So I pray for any, any man, woman, child, boy, girl today who needs to come to the cross, to repent from their sins, to be received and forgiven, to go to the waters of baptism. Let, let today be that day. Lord, I pray for any man or woman here who's walked with you during this life. The Lord needs to rise again and know you in glory. I pray you'll bring that about as well. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen, let's stand and sing it as we do, and invite it to respond.